Uh, would you guys thank Zach and the rest of our interns? The work they do is amazing. Super thankful for y'all. Uh, good morning. My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here. Delighted to be with you. Uh, welcome to any of you. If this is your first time, you're newer to the church, great to have you here. Uh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, just want you to know, I know it can be weird, kind of come into a moment surrounded by all these weirdos and stuff like that. Uh, but we're thankful you're here too, and hopefully we can all learn together this morning. You might hear a little bit of my voice. I'm kind of on the tail end of what's been like the plague in our home. It's, it's just short of corona, I think. And so... Uh, so anyway, I, if I run out of breath or pass out, that's, that's just the Spirit of God slaying me because the Word is so strong and thick this morning. Um, but we do want to take a moment uh, before we jump in the Word, and, and we, we still want to be able to pray for, for other churches. We think it's a massive important thing we do here in service. Uh, we're, we're praying for uh, kind of a global church actually today. So uh, Zach, the, the guy that just read for us, uh, he is Romanian, which is awesome. He can talk to you. Uh, in Romanian, which would be fun, and so maybe we'll have him come sing a song or something one time, but he, uh, he was sharing something from his home church in Romania, uh, has some missionaries in China, in Wuhan, and if you don't know, Wuhan is kind of the epicenter for the coronavirus in China, and so uh, they had, tw I think they, they asked for prayer for 20 of their members are uh, inflicted with the disease, um, and it's just kind of spreading, and they want to minister well in the midst of that, and so would you guys bow our heads, we pray for this church in China, the city of Wuhan, and for Zach, and the church in Romania, and the work that they're doing there. God, we, um, we just lift up this church. God, you, you invite the church to be a blessing to the world, um, a beacon of love and of hope and of, uh, God, your grace to that city and to those people. Lord, we pray, God, in, in many amazing ways, God, that you would bring about healing and restoration to those who are hurting and afflicted. God, that they would be raised up and saved and delivered. God, that they would then be able to go and minister well. Uh, God, we pray for, man, we do pray for this, this thing, uh, regardless of kind of what statistics you look at, it's just, there's people that are, that are suffering and sick, Lord, and Lord, we pray uh, that you come swiftly and you bring healing this side of heaven, Lord. We thank you that you promise a day where there will be no sickness, there will be no sadness, there will be no tear. God, we ask for you to bless this church and those churches, God, um, that they glorify you and they would do great work in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we are in week two of a series called Countercultural Convictions. Last week we did the Bible, and uh, uh, Professor Michael Goheen, Anthony and I, a seminary professor, came up and spoke. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I, I can't highly recommend you to go back and listen. Like, please go listen, listen again if you were here last week. It's very important to understand what we view about the scriptures, how beautiful and authoritative and powerful and, and all that that they are. And so please go and check that out. So uh, again, week two of seven, today we transition to this sermon we'll talk about today. This, this idea was where all the other redemption congregations started. So there's nine redemption congregations across the state. Uh, the other eight all started with what we're talking about today. It's just we had to get Goheen in last week before he left for Canada, his homeland. Uh, and so we switched it up a bit. But I want you to know that what we'll talk about today is meant to be the lens for the whole series. Like it's meant to be the way that we view every conversation that we'll enter into here on Sundays. But then I'm also going to say it's every conversation you enter into in life. This is the starting point, I think, for us, and, and we'll kind of unpack the scriptures in the midst of that. Um, let, me, let me do this. If, if you don't have a Bible, I want, I want these in your hands this morning especially. And so if, if the interns or anyone who's faithful and likes standing up and getting credit for being awesome, uh, just stand up and grab these. And if you can start slipping your hands up, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to be able to open it up, flip through, see what's there. Don't feel weird. We pass them out every week. They're there for you. So slip your hand up, grab a Bible. And if you don't own one, please take this one with you on your way out. Um, you can start turning, all of us, to 1 John chapter 4, okay? Uh, if you use the phone, that counts. We'll count that. So just scroll to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, if you do have one of the Bibles we just handed out, that's page 592 is where we're going to be, 592 if you got one of the, the handout Bibles. So um, as you're going to 1 John 4, let me give you uh, the theological, the, the, really the scriptural basis for why we think this series is so important. And there's a few different verses that, that shape this for us. And if you're a note taker, feel free to jot these down. Don't need to jump to them. We'll stay in 1 John 4. Uh, we'll be having these ones up on the screen. So here we go. The first one is Romans 12, verse 2. And it says this, this letter from Paul. And he writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed through the renewing of your mind, so that in that renewal, in that transformation, you will know, Christian, how to live faithfully in a chaotic world that sometimes doesn't make a ton of sense, okay? We had this, uh, a good friend of ours, one of the pastors at Redemption Gilbert, was sharing his own faith journey, a bit of kind of what he's going through, and he talked about this idea of how he sees his faith in Christianity right now feels a bit like a lazy river, which I thought was a great analogy. Now, if anyone's ever been on a lazy river, they're phenomenal, right? You just lounge back, you're just hanging out, you got buddies, there's water usually spraying on you, it's at a nice pace, you're drinking a good water, and, uh, <laughs> and you're just cruising along. Um, and, and the tide just slowly takes you. And, and he's kind of saying, and I think it's true, that this confirmation, this conform to the world peace, happens more passively than actively. Like we kind of just float along in our, in our relationship with Jesus. We float along as the church. Meanwhile, um, I think we are being formed into the image that is not God, but rather this world. Uh, and so we have to then, what, get off the raft and push against the current at times and say, no, this is actually where we stand. This is, this is what defines us. We're not going to be conformed by the world's either passive or aggressive modes of forming us. We're going to be shaped by the Word of God. We're going to be shaped by the presence and the life of Jesus, and that is who we will be. The next one is Matthew 5 through 7. If you're familiar, that's the Sermon on the Mount. You often hear Jesus throughout that sermon say things like, you have heard it said, but now I tell you. Each one of these sermons will have a big piece of that, right? Like you, you've heard it said either in kind of greater culture or even in the subculture that is Christianity here in America, uh, different things. And we're going to say, hey, you've heard that, but let's look at the scriptures. Is that, is that actually what's there? And so now I tell you. Um, 2 Timothy 4.3 really presses into this. Paul, again, writing to his disciple Timothy, says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we live in that time. That time is, is an extended time. They experience it then, we experience it now, that we seek out, and now it's easier than ever to find a blog or find a Twitter follow that will agree with what you think is true, right? Like, you can find any information, any statistic, it will feed your pride. It will feed, I am right, look at me, and then we share it, and then someone else comes back with a competing one that just says the exact opposite thing. We live in a time where we can seek out that which will scratch the itch that we have in our ears. But we're warned against this to push back against that. The last text is Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. <clears throat> teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That this movement of the church is not just to stay, that we learn, we conform our minds, and we're good, but actually that we take this goodness, we take the gospel, and we go and we call people to baptism, new life in Christ, and that we call them to obey the things that Christ has commanded. But the first thing we need to do before we can call people to do that is we need to know well, what does the Bible actually command of us, right? And so that's why we gather here. It's why we study the scriptures. It's not because, well, I have to. The Bible, like God makes me read. No, we get to read the scriptures so that we will be able to know Jesus. And then we can know, man, Jesus, how do, how do you want us to live? Like, what does it look like to follow you? How, how do we fall in love with the gospel, et cetera? And so that's the idea, okay? Um, so that being said, the lens for the whole series where we start, or we should have started last week, but where we start today is on the countercultural idea of love. Now, um, you might be thinking, is, is love really that controversial? And I'd say, yes, if we look at it from how the Bible talks about love. Like if, if we just kind of, and we'll talk about this a bit, if we just kind of uh, opt in for the way the, love, the world talks about love, then it's, it's easy. There's not too much controversy if we bind with that. But if we jump into the scriptures, we begin to unpack, like, what, what are you talking about when you say love? Um, we're going to find that it presses up against us pretty good. Um, Paul, that guy who wrote to Timothy, right, he said this to Timothy in an earlier letter, and he writes this in 1 Timothy 1.5. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. I want to read that first part again. The aim of our charge is love. That, that, Timothy, everything I'm about to instruct you in, right, 
uh, to press up against the tickling ears stuff of the world, to push into all of the things that would seek to draw the Christian away from faithful living in Christ. Let me tell you, why do I try and share and convict and bring you back into faithful life in Jesus is because of love. That the aim of our teaching, the aim of our charge, the aim of discipleship, the aim of the church is to love. Okay. Martin Luther King said it this way. I love this quote from him. He says that love is the key that unlocks the door to ultimate reality. That we're all, listen, outside of it, we're all living kind of this, this thing that is not ultimately true because it's not at the heart of the world. Love is the key that unlocks the door to ultimate reality. Um, there's this story. <coughs> John, the author of the book that we'll look at today, uh, he has this, this great story chronicled about it. If you're not familiar with John, the dude was just a rock star, okay? Just an absolute stud early in the faith. Uh, he was the last of the 12 apostles, the only one to not be martyred. And towards the end of his life, he's living in Ephesus, which is a city in the ancient Near East in present-day Turkey. Uh, and he's living there, and he's kind of living out his years. And he had, he had become kind of frail and, and, and tired, and he wasn't kind of this fiery preacher that he was in his earlier years. Uh, Jerome, the early church historian, has this story about him, and I think it's pretty fascinating. That people would always still go to John. John, like, we have counsel. We have, how do we live faithfully? What, is, what does life look like? And, and his answer in Chronicle is this. He would always say, little children, love one another. Okay? Uh, this faithful man of God, Jesus' best friend, he would say, little children, love one another. And he kept giving the same answer. Every question. Hey, well, little children love one another. And eventually, Jerome chronicles that people came to him and said, hey, man, like, why don't you give us a different answer? Like, there's got to be something else out there, dude. And he said this. Dear children, if you obey this one command, you get it all. If you obey this one command, you get it all. And then you might be thinking, well, maybe John, towards the end of his life, got a little hippie. He spent a little time in Flagstaff. And so it was just like this. Right? It's just like, ah, just love each other, man. Right? right? Like, if you, I'm not, never mind. I was going to tell you a movie reference that should not be uttered in this. That sounds worse than it is. It's half baked. If you haven't seen it, don't see it. Okay? I watched it, so you don't have to. That's the idea. Okay? So, um, he's not wrong because the Bible makes the same claim. Let me look at a litany of scriptures, and then we'll zoom in in 1 John 4 for the rest of our time. Here we go. Um, the greatest commandment in the Bible, right, that God, God says this. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew 22, verse 37. It says, and he said to him, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, okay? In other words, everything that's been said, okay? Everything you could sum up in all of the Old Testament, if you took all the Levitical law, all the Deuteronomic law, all of the Old Testament law, ceremonial, temple law, etc., 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 if you took it all, if you took all that the prophets have claimed and said, calling Israel out of their sin, out of their denial, all of it returns and is summed up in this commandment. Love God, love your neighbor, okay? So you begin, well, what about, no, no, all of it. Just as Jesus saying, all of that stuff summed up here. Love God, love your neighbor. The most famous verse of all time, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 13, 35, how will people even know that we follow God? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Not if we all gather here on Sundays, right? Not if we go and we do a great service project, which we should do both of those things, okay? But if we love one another. Paul backs up Jesus here, classic passage, 1 Corinthians 13. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard this one, right? Love is patient, love is kind, goes through all those types of things, right? And, and with good reason, if you use that, it's a great scripture for this, right? But 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope are pretty big deals in the Christian faith. It's by faith that we are saved through Christ. 
Hope instilled in us because of who God is and what he has promised, not just here, but the hereafter. Faith and hope are big deals. Above those two, Paul claims is love, in agreement with Jesus. He says later in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, and if you're wondering what that is because you haven't been in church long enough, not the literal stuff, but this is actually this debate about legalistic living. Like any of the good stuff you would bring forward to say, I'm a good person, he's saying, for in Christ Jesus, neither, none of that stuff matters. It counts for nothing. But only what? Faith working through love. None of the good stuff that we bring forward, none of the things that we would achieve as good Christians mean anything outside of faith working itself through love. I gave you six. There are 600 verses where we could just run through. Maybe we should, trusting the power of the scripture to shape us that at the center of this, God is saying love. So let's look at what First John has for us. We'll spend the rest of our time there. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We start here, church. Now, again, not everyone in the room would identify as, as a Christian. Maybe that's not all of your stories. Maybe you're learning and asking questions. Maybe you got dragged here, whatever it is. But, but hear me, what John's addressing is, Christian, this is what your life should look like. We are from God. The identifier for us will be the following verses. We are, our identity, this is who we are. Church, that, that has to start with us. That anytime you walk out these doors, okay, well, what does faithful living look like? And it has to start with, well, I'm a Christian, so. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if it doesn't start there, if it's, well, I thought this was a, a good idea, you're already off track. It starts with, I am identified by being and belonging to the family of God. So, I live this way. So, I don't do that. So, I do do this, right? Like, that's, that's the idea. It starts with identity. We are from God. So, whoever knows God should listen. Whoever doesn't know God, listen. If you're here and not a Christian, it makes sense. You might think that even some of this I've already said is just absolute and utter foolishness. And, and, and that's just part of your story. You're navigating that. I get all that. But hear me. What, what he's saying is the way we would discern, should we listen or not listen? Are you a Christian? Listen to the word of God and let it form you and shape you. It's by this we know right from wrong, truth from error, we see in the second part of verse 6. Christian, heed these following words. This is how we know we are from God. Verse 7. Beloved, right? Beloved. In other words, those who are loved... Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We often say here this term, you've heard blessed to be a blessing, right? We say it here all the time. It's rooted in Genesis chapter 12, the first book of the Bible, where God calls this man, Abraham, raised up and says, I'm going to bless you and a nation of people with you, that you will be blessed, that you would be a blessing to the whole world. And so we say, man, we've... We bring that into the church. Like, we are God's people. We're supposed to be blessed by God, to be a blessing to the world. Hear me. John is expounding on that idea, and he says this. Look, you are loved to be loving. You, you are loved to be loving. You're, you're not loved to hate. You're not loved to disdain. You're not loved to to despise. You're not loved to belittle. You're not loved to look upon the other in harsh judgment. You're loved to love. John, John cannot be clearer about it. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Beloved ones, like this, let us love. Like it's, it's that straightforward for the people of God. Um, I did a little exercise over the last, it's been like three and a half weeks since we kind of were like, this week we're going to do this. And so I started asking questions of various Christians I knew, various non-Christians I know. Uh, because you get this line, right? Whoever uh, loves has been born of God. We, we use the language, right, in the kind of modern day church. 
uh, at least here in America, of the born-again Christian, right? Like, we, we were born once, right, from your, from your mom and dad, right? I'm going to explain the anatomy of that, right? But, but then we were born again. Like, we, God renews us, makes us new, new creation, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, anything that was of the past has been gone. You are made new. Like, this beautiful reality that God has done. We are born again. In fact, most of the, the great born-again language comes from, from John throughout the Bible, if you look at the Gospel of John, which we will start uh, in a matter of weeks. And so I began to ask the question to, to, different, to Christians and non-Christians. I said, hey, when you hear the term born-again Christian, what comes to mind? What, what comes to mind? And so the Christian answers were, were pretty encouraging. Fruit came up a lot, right? That you judge them by their fruit. Okay, confession, Jesus came up a lot, God came up a lot, read your Bible came up a lot, discipleship, stuff like that. Christian answers, it makes sense, that's hopefully what we would say. The non-Christian answers were a little more alarming, and not all were bad, I don't want to characterize it that way, but most were. We had charity, which was, it's obviously pretty good. Jesus came up a bunch, all of you are the people that believe in Jesus, okay. But then other things started to, to roll out. Um, things like, well, the funniest one was someone said, don't you guys take, like, vacations to Africa? Which I was like, oh, man. I was like, take down your Facebook picture. Um, so, and I had to explain it. And then they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But, but then stuff came out, well, aren't you guys anti? And then just insert your people group. Okay. Aren't you guys anti this person? Aren't you guys anti this? Aren't you anti that? Hate came up a few times. Now hear me. There are things that, like, if, you, if when we even get into this series, like, we're going to be against. There are things that we would say, no, we don't agree with, and we will stand firm and we believe the scriptures say. So some of that stuff is just, why? Well, even in talking to people, I was like, oh, some of that's just sad. Like, we do believe this. From neither side, Christian or non-Christian, I must have asked 25, 30 people, only one Christian said the answer, love. You get only one, and that's from Christians and non-Christians, when they heard born again Christian, thought of love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, verse eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If there's a marker that should be the one that we should all say, it should be this. Maybe Jesus, I get Jesus, that's your problem, that's there too. But John, and it seems like the scriptures we looked at. So again, the wrestle here, it's not with, this isn't hippie vent. This is the scriptures we have to wrestle with that say at the center of this whole thing that the charge of our work is love. That the greatest commandment is love. That it was love that motivated Jesus to come down here. And it is by how we will be identified to the world is that we love. And it wasn't even on the map. Now, maybe it wasn't on the map for Christians. You might have explanations for that. But even for us, that wasn't there. One person. There's some issues with that that we have to begin to navigate. Okay. Um, here's where I want to talk a little bit about how this pushes up against culture. Um, the Bible says, we say, God is love. That's why, that's the rationale behind, like, we, we, we can't be Christians and not love because God is love. Like, that's his very nature. It's not that God is loving. God is love. We call this his ontology, right? Like, his very being is love. So you can't know him and not love. You can't know love and not love, right? So we say God is love, but honestly, here's what the world does is they, they flip that term. And they make love is God. So we say God is love. The world would say love is God. In other words, they've placed it in this, this arena of subjectivity and not objectivity. Because it is not God, right? God defines for us 
love. Here, love is then defined by the individual. Because now it's subjective. Now, we, we've raised this thing, love, up to this position where we all treat it as this idol because love in and of itself is not the idol that we should worship. God is. But when you take this thing and you begin to craft it in your own means and shape it by your own desires, it, it starts falling short pretty significantly. So they say love is God. We make the infinite finite. Make that which is clear to us through the word of God foggy. Instead of it being a concrete reality that all humanity could say, wait, that God is love. Let us be like him. Let us love the way God dictates. Instead, now love is God says, no, no, you listen to me in the way I interpret that idea. In an ever-shifting and ever-changing landscape of cultural belief about who is in and who is out, who is worthy and who is not, and on and on and on. And the way that works itself out is a few different ways. I think, one, we get this idea in the world that love is just a feeling, or it's primarily a feeling, right? So it's this, this thing that happens in your heart for another, right? And it's not just romantic, but oftentimes, right, in media and in film, that's the way it's characterized. So in 1997, there was a movie that came out that just changed the landscape for all of my friends, and it was called Titanic, Okay. And every girl I've ever met has seen it at least five times. That's my age. Some of you younger kids, you guys do the to all the boys I loved before or whatever that. Yeah, see, I know you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're the bachelorette. Um, and it, cha- it just was a game changer. Because all of a sudden, love, love was this embodied Leo thing, Right? There you go. <laughs> I'm glad we're preaching. I'm glad you're here. Um, right? For, for you older folk, right? Casablanca, right? 1942. <laughs> there was a real gap in romance movies. I looked. There was like nothing from like 50 to 80. Like it was a pretty dry period. There's a handful of things. Harold and Maude, but anyway, saw that. Um, and you're constantly being peddled this, hear me, in, in Hollywood and in film and in music, right? Like, love is this kind of idealized version on a screen. And it's always based on this, like, amazing, like, butterfly effect that happens upon you that just carries you into all these great decisions. Those of us who deeply love, and and I'm still working on that, no, it's not always that beautiful or simple. The other way, love is is often, as it's treated, right, again, in an ever-shifting culture, um, there's no constant, right? And so then we get shaped by the political season. We, we get shaped by the music we listen to and, and what are the things that they're heralding? Who, who are the people that, that deserve the most love and then who are the people that don't now because now they're on the outside? You understand what I'm saying? Like in this, if, it's, if it's based in culture, if, if that's where love finds its origination and its, and its roots, None of us stand a chance. Because if you think you're loving now, if you keep loving the things you're loving right now and thinking you're a loving person, I guarantee you in 10 years, you will be a hateful bigot. And that's the same as 10 years ago and 10 years before that and 10 years before that. Why? Because our culture, the world shifts who is in and who is out based upon whatever they decide. We've seen this pattern throughout history, not just in this country, but around the world. You see it throughout the scriptures. So the only answer then for the church is to return to not love is God. We push against that idolatry and say, no, God is love, and we are known by how we love. In fact, we cannot even claim to be Christians if we do not love. They're incongruent with one another. So we press against this reality. Now, um, this then leads us to the second part of this, right? There's the pushback against the aspect of, of belief. We believe different things about love. 
but there's also the action of it. Like, what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for Christians to live this out? Like, what, what does love look like with, with like, legs on, right? You get this song, remember the song, What is Love? Remember Night at the Roxbury? I was going to sing it for all if I wasn't sick. It would have been great. Um, and, and in that, uh, you just, what is this then? If it's not what this world has crafted, what is the love that the Bible talks about? Let's continue in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Definition number one is Jesus. And it's not just Jesus. Hear me, it's not just the cross. Because we, we want to kind of zoom in on the cross. It's the entire movement of God to a rebellious people. Definition number one of love is even to those who may hate, we move close. Even to those who may despise, we sacrifice. Even to those who hate, we do not revile. We love. That is the way of Jesus. You want a definition. Look no farther than the person of Christ. We did an entire series called Love Walked Among Us which was all about the person of Christ and all of these stories where you just saw the embodiment of love with legs, with hands, walking around, caring for people. A humanity that the Bible tells us, and I think we intrinsically know, is the enemy of God because we want to do us and not him. So the definition number one is we move towards even those. Like, and so that's the idea, right? So if we, if we are to love even the enemy, then surely we love everyone before that. That should just be obvious to us. If you can love the enemy, those so far out there, everything you disagree with, right? If you're called to love them the way that we're applying God's love, you're supposed to love them like that. Hear me, then everyone before that, you got to love too. Coworkers, all your roommates, okay, all your kids, uh, just kidding. <laughs> right? All your neighbors. And obviously, as it gets into your home, your wife, your kids, those closest to you. If you're supposed to love them, you got to love everyone that way. There's no exceptions to this rule. If God's going to include the enemy, us, then surely. Definition number two of love Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We don't define love, God does. And so definition number two is death. Embodied in the cross, the taking on of other people's brokenness, that they would be healed, is love. I want, you to, I want you to just begin, let's, let's just dream together for a second if we can. What could, what could our nation look like right now if all the Christians who, who say that they know God and love God, if they live this out? If even when another person made a mistake, we moved close and entered into that mistake and we chose love, not revile, not bitter correction. Okay, there's room for correction. Don't, don't hear what I'm saying. What if when someone says something that you think is just such a crazy idea in the political landscape if you didn't think, I need to tear them down, but instead thought, let me move close to them. Let me begin to understand, why would you say that? Because that's not the way I'm viewing the world. But I love God, and so there's a certain way I'm supposed to then do this that is biblical and emulates Jesus. It's not the way the rest of the world is doing. Can, can we, it's impossible to right, envision that a little bit. Where all of a sudden, if all of your Facebook feeds were just filled with people encouraging one another and exhorting one another and asking real questions about life and not just judgment. 
trying to understand some of the pain behind some of the claims that people make that they think is best for their life and for this world. Maybe they're not all just idiots and fools. Maybe they're not all just bigots and racists. Some are. Well, sorry. But hear me, regardless of who they are, where they're at, what they believe, the only answer is love. You, you don't, hear me, church, and this is like crushing to me. <laughs> I love to just win arguments. I, I, I love to be right. I love to even subtly figure out ways for people to think I'm right without even being too right outward about it. We're called to love. And, and I'm getting all quiet and mysterious right now. Just, we're called to love, y'all. Like, and it's everyone. And it's every time. No matter what comes to your doorstep, the answer. Listen, the reason and the response is always love. You cannot jettison it. If you jettison it, you are jettisoning you knowing God. Because they're incongruent to not love and to know God. Okay? So, um, this sounds difficult. This sounds pretty stinking hard to love people at this level all the time. And so you ask yourself two questions. How could we ever love, live, sorry, how could we ever live and love like this? Do you know who I am? And for us, do you know who I am? You want me to live like this? And the second question is, how could I ever live like this? Do you know who they are? Those are the two, right? There's two great barriers, okay, to this. The first one is these, is, is, is these questions. Oh, sorry, the, the, the two barriers are these two questions, right? Do you know who I am and do you know who they are? And, and guess what? In the last six verses, John is kind enough to answer those questions for us. The first do you know who I am? Verse 13, by this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in the world. How could we ever like, live like this? Do you know who I am? And then John comes in with the gospel. And he comes in and says, we have confessed that Jesus Christ died for us. We have confessed that in that he is the son of God and he abides with those he knows and loves. To abide, the word menno in the Greek, it has roots in war language that even amidst the difficulty that surrounds, one would abide, one would stand with us. That God does not flee at our mess or the mess of the world, but rather he abides with us because of love, because of confession, because of the gospel, we can answer the question, how could I ever live like this? Do you know who I am? And God answers, yes, and I died for you, and I rose for you, and now I stand with you. We are now linked. The Spirit of God indwells you, and you have a hope that on the day of judgment, you stand pure before him. That's how you can live like this, because of the gospel. That's why I know it's some, it might get annoying how often we just land with an application point here of like, try and love Jesus more. Like, just dwell in the gospel story, because it frees us to go and love like this. Do you know who I am? Yes. You are a son and you are a daughter in the kingdom of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God. God lives in you that you might love like this. So any of us who say, ah, it's, just, it's impossible. You don't know me. Like, you don't, you don't know me. I'm an angry person. You don't, you don't know me. I can't control. Yes, you can. 
through Jesus. You cannot control you outside of him. In him, though, you can. Let us not cop out to this idea of love is unachievable. No, no, no. It's absolutely achievable. Because Christ is not just the example for us. He's the enablement. He's the example we see, we follow, but he is the enablement that we might see and follow. He handles every bit of this for us because he knows we're just kind of a mess. Praise God. The answer to the second question, okay? How can we ever live like this? Do they know who they are? The second barrier, I think, that's massive for us in trying to love and live this way. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I'll move through this quickly. The second barrier to love is fear. An opportunity to talk to our lead pastor, Tyler Johnson, and in length about this idea, and it just, all of a sudden, man, just all sorts of stuff just opened up in my heart of, I'm afraid of this, and I'm afraid of this, and I'm afraid of this. Fear becomes this barrier towards love, and it's, I think it's fear in a few different areas, and I'm sure there's more, but I think we're scared to be hurt. We're scared to be taken advantage of. Like, if we love this way, you might hurt me, right? Like, if, if you put yourself out there, like, we get that. You could, you could damage me. You could take advantage of, of that love. And the answer is, yeah, that's true. There is that chance. Okay? But there's two things, again, that make it still possible. It's one, Jesus. Shocker. And two, this. And I don't mean Sunday service. I mean the people of God who are called to love one another. All of the presumption that we would go and love like this is rooted in the fact that what? You and I, you and you, you and like you over here and you over there who've never met but are brother and sister and will live together forever, you're called to love one another. That honestly, the way it's supposed to exist, not just here and not just in this room, but with the church down the street and with the church across the globe and the one that we're called to love one another, that there'd be this overwhelming sense of like, gosh, there's just so much stinking love. Like I can go and love anybody. Why? Because I am so backed by the love of this community. So the first indictment should be like, do we even love each other like this, let alone the enemy, let alone the outsider? answer is often no we don't man we we bicker with one another we fight with one another we judge one another and I don't mean in sin right I'm not saying you never judge don't hear that but we judge one another and we hate one another and we commit slanderous gossip around one another or we know the good we ought to do for one another and we don't do it and that's just equally as bad so it starts in our own household do we love each other because if we did the love of Christ overwhelming us, the love of the community of God overwhelming us, man, okay, that just makes it a little bit easier to go out there and say, no, okay, you might take advantage of this love, but I've got a ton behind me and a ton from above and a ton dwelling inside my soul, okay? The second thing I think we're fearful of is we're scared of those we don't know, okay? Now, there's a pretty shockingly simple answer to that and it's to know people and 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 that right at the center of you need to step in did God keep himself at a distance and handle this issue no no he's like let me get down in the mess and the muck and let me live with you let me dwell with you let me learn with you let me teach with you let me be in your midst that I might know you and then love I mean, the answer is simple, but I think we're scared of those we don't know or the things we don't know about those we don't know. And it's easier to stay away. It's easier to keep, hey, I'll just, let me do my thing over here. That's fine. That's not what love calls you to. And we do not know God if we do not love. The last one is I think we're scared we'll lose our way. 
I think there's a fear in there. Like, and if, if we focus too much on this, like, it just feels kind of like, it feels, and I've used this word, it just feels a little, like, hippie-ish. Like, just love, man. Like, it just, it has that, okay, if you hear that language, you hear me, that is, that's not what this is. I think we're scared that we'll start to compromise for the sake of love, and love does not compromise. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage, right, love is tied to truth. That truth is subject to love. That they're intrinsically tied to one another. That we don't love in falsehood, we love in truth. So I, I get the fear of it. Like, ah, if we focus too much on this, are we gonna, is this going to compromise the way we view this and, and the way we view this? Are we going to let this thing slide? Man, that, that's just the wrong, we don't start there. We just love because the Bible says we have to, and that's who we are. And so in that, then, we constantly return to what we talked about last week. Beautiful, authoritative, and powerful word of God. And the community of believers that keep us on track. The fears we have, guys, they're not, we are not ruled by that. Paul to Timothy, for God did not give you a spirit of fear but of one of power, love, and self-control. Christian, you are capable. You are able in Christ to live and to love like this, to the biggest enemy, to the closest person in your life, no matter what they say or do. And it starts with the way you treat the person you came with today. If you didn't notice, I skipped to verse 12. And so I'll read it as we close. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God, but they will see God as we love. How do we make the unseen seen? John says, the Bible points us to love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says that all that you do be done in love, all that you do. There's not anything to be done not in love. You don't need to think through grandiose statements, right? You get this idea, and it's just shaped by, oh, the holiday's coming, so let me do something really special and important for my wife or my husband, because it's Valentine's Day, and so we get caught up in this. You know, it's everything you do be done in love. I had a dear friend of mine, real close person in my life, He's talking about some problems in his marriage. And he's talking about how he so desperately wanted to, to, to work things out because he would do anything for his kids. He had two, a boy and a girl. And he said, I'd do anything for my kids. And he starts going to these grandiose things. He's like, Vince, like, I, I, would, I would like die for my children. I'm like, I know, I know. He's, he's, he starts saying like really graphic. He's like, I would literally cut open my stomach and have my bowels fall out. Like I would do that for my kids. And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> But I said to him, I, I said, that's great and all, man. If that's true, then stop lying to your wife. Because there's where your problem is. Don't give me this stuff that you would do anything for your children if you won't just do the one thing that your wife is asking you to do. Friends, love is not complicated. We make it complicated. Every moment... You choose love. Every moment. Jude gets it. Right, Jude? The future topics will move us into this. And are the lens for how we treat them and how we love people. There will be things that make it sound like we're anti or something like that. We're not. Love is based in truth. We believe, and we'll get into this more in those moments, of what that love looks like manifest. We'll talk about issues of justice, mercy. I love this quote from Cornell West. He says, justice is what love looks like in public. This is brilliant. And we're going to delve into these issues over the next five weeks. And I pray that God forms us as a community. Not that we would get all the issues right. right? We have convictions. We're going to preach about them. We're going to talk about them. We're going to look at the word of God. But if they're not centered on love, it's pointless. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. If we sing Jesus paid it all on Sunday, declaring God's love for all but have not love ourselves, we're no more than an alarm clock at 3 a.m. If we go to our redemption communities and our Bible studies and our large groups and have not love, we are nothing. If we serve at Second Saturdays and foster care and adoption, if we go to Guatemala but have not love, we are nothing. If we see the hurting, broken and unseen and invite them in but have not love, we are nothing. If we give every week, have a mentor, abstain from the big sins, read our Bibles every day and pray unceasingly, but have not love, we gain nothing. If we say we love God, but have not love, we are fools. We end where we began. First John 4.19, the last in the passage. We love because he first loved us. Church, we're going to sing right now. We're going to worship. We're going to respond. We love because God first loved us. We didn't figure this thing out, obviously. God loved his creation. And he loves us. He loves this broken, bedraggled enemy for a time. And so now we love. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we get to sing. And we just, I just say it over and over in my mind. God, you loved us. We did not love you. So God, um, and correct us, God, where we've created you to say things you haven't said. God, we sit in that love now. Like the end of this should be like rejoicing and singing because you have loved us. And God, will we bask in that love as we sing? We rest in it because, Lord, we know that we then leave this place to radically love the way you've loved each other and the world you've called us to. God, we are loved to be loving. Would you bless us in that pursuit, God? We are frail and foolish. God, correct us. And, Lord, may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. May we not complicate this beautiful gift And would you move in us that we would be a loving presence everywhere with everyone all the time. Christ, we love you. In Christ's name we pray.